Hey everybody, we are here for a special podcast today. Uh, This is something that we haven't done, uh, but the timing calls for it now. And so uh, this is uh, is AJ. Uh, I'm sitting here with Pastor Jim and Pastor Bill. And they, uh, last week, were at our uh, denominational general assembly. And uh, we just wanted to have a discussion today to share with you all kind of, you know, their report, their feedback, uh, just a summary from them of that. And so um, just to give a sense of what we want to do through this podcast is uh, first, we just know that, you know, some of you listening to this um, are in different places. Um, Some may be, what is the General Assembly? What is what is Presbyterian? You know, just brand new to some of these things. And so we want to give you some um, clarity on some of that. And uh, some others of you may be very um, in the know and up to date on some of these things. You may even be very concerned. Um, There's been some um, hot topics, uh, some important topics that have been talked about. And so you may be very concerned about those. We want to address that as well. Um, But Bill and Jim, thank you all for for being on here and uh, doing this. Thank you for coming back from St. Louis. (laughs) Glad to be here. It's good. I was here by myself (laughs) all week. So... (laughs) But just to, to start us out, can you just, either of you or both of you, just give us a little context of, you know, what, what is a General Assembly um, and even how does that connect to being Presbyterian? Just, just give us a little bit of that before we dive in. So the General Assembly is uh, the largest court of the church. We would call it a court. Don't think of that in an intimidating way. But there are local church sessions and then there are regional presbyteries. And the word presbytery comes from the Greek for elder, shepherd, right? Presbyteros. Yeah. So you have uh, collections of churches and elders in regional places. I think there's 60 or 70. Uh, set, I think 62 presbyteries. 62 presbyteries um, in, the, in the PCA. And the General Assembly is our annual meeting, which all the ruling elders and teaching elders are an allotted amount that are allowed to come per church size and everything like that, because there are churches that are huge and churches that are small, come together for the annual meeting once a year, typically in June. And so this year's GA largest general assembly by at least a third um, if i'm not mistaken we had that's massive more than 2000 uh commissioners and that means registered voting commissioners because there's oh. a cost to that and each church has a limit of who they can send as far as just making yeah. sure there's representation and um, so and so all of those commissioners are just elders and yep local churches elders right. and local right. churches yep. not just pastors also could be uh, you know elders who are lay elders ruling elders yeah and so i think when we had our biggest and heaviest votes about matters that were of importance we had 1900 almost 2000 yeah, yeah close to 2000 and if i remember to it might uh, be interesting to note that uh, of teaching elders i think there were about 1600 and around five or six hundred ruling elders so that's okay. kind of the ratio yeah and that's one thing general assembly has been working on for some time is to increase the number of ruling elders. That's right. Uh, so that we have more of the local congregation input yeah. on general assemblies. So, yeah. so that's a good thing. It was encouraging to see that many ruling elders. Definitely. And just to describe context of the week, we flew on Monday. We got there and Bill was on a committee, which we can talk later about the purpose of those committees. Um, I got to have a free Monday. Um, but uh, while I was t- running underneath the arches, he was in meetings, so that was great. Uh, but we got there. So we went Monday. Tuesday, seminars started. Seminars are just opportunities. They started in the afternoon. We were able to go to any seminar you want. It's just kind of an hour or hour and a half of time in which 
anyway, anywhere between probably 15 and 25 seminars are offered over the course of the three days at different times, early in the mornings before everything starts on Wednesday and Thursday, that kind of thing. So there were seminars, there's an exhibit hall set up of, you know, whether it's publishing houses or whether it's seminaries or missions agencies, a massive exhibit hall where a lot of the talking and walking and just seeing old friends and just people are always sneaking out to get a coffee, uh, coffee and looking at different things. And then um, that was Tuesday. Everything starts on Tuesday night at the worship service. Uh-huh. And we actually did business immediately after that first worship service. So we weren't done on Tuesday night till 10 p.m. We adjourned. And uh, we were tired. We went back to bed. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then everything really jump starts. Business continues on Wednesday morning and carried through. Midnight was this on Thursday night was the well Friday morning was yeah. the scheduled adjournment, which we missed that by 45 minutes. And we adjourned at 12:45 a.m. on Friday, Friday. morning, Man. so that most people could head home or fly home, whatever the case would be on Friday. So that's kind of the week. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, yeah, just share, you know, you've started to get into this and maybe Bill, you could add some just, yeah, what, what was the experience like? Uh, just add a little bit to uh, what the week was like for you. Yeah, I uh, very much enjoyed being there with Jim and, and having someone of a kindred spirit uh, because especially at big gatherings like that, you tend to see different groups of people. Some are more interested in the politics. Some are more interested in ministry. Some are just weary and want a break and uh, so to be able to spend more time with Jim when we didn't necessarily have an agenda all the time that was helpful yeah. and then meeting other pastors some that were Jim's friends I ran into a couple of uh, seminary classmates uh, a couple of them I hadn't seen in 20 or 30 years wow. one guy in particular a, a dear friend hadn't seen him in, I'm sure at least 30 years wow. so that was incredible wanted to have more time with him and, and did not but even just a few minutes you can uh, make a, a good connection be encouraged about other pastors who are laboring and working hard to love God's people and proclaim the gospel they're still learning and wrestling with the gospel themselves that's the greatest encouragement for yeah. us those times yeah and uh, and getting to meet a few of Jim's friends there were a couple who were in kind of hard places and struggling and it was so good to be able to sit with them listen to their story tell them more about what God is doing here and how thankful we are to see the way that God is at work. And uh, so great times of encouragement. Uh, that's for me, that's part of the highlight yeah. of General Assembly. And it's been 12 or 15 years since I've been. So it was good to yeah. get back to that. Yeah, some highlights of relational connection for me were um, right away we met one of the influential guys at the Charles Simeon Trust. His name is Doug O'Donnell, and he is uh, he's now actually one of the editors at Crossway uh, Bibles and Books there in Wheaton, Illinois. Um, so he and I have done some workshops together. So introducing him to Bill was special. He's actually written a commentary on Job. So yeah. we spent a lot of time talking about Job. Um, but then very intimately, it was special to introduce Bill to a friend of mine named John Kenyon, who was actually the one that planted, um, excuse me, that was the mother church's pastor when Corey and I moved the kids up to Pennsylvania to plant a church. Yeah. And we just... Um, Spent a few hours together. That yeah. was a, a real really blast really to see enjoyed. that special character uh, who's now on, I don't know if he's on his fifth or sixth church plant, maybe seventh or eighth that he's been involved in. This is just a serial church planter that loves the gospel and loves to see 
Bible-believing, Christ-exalting churches planted. And so it was fun to see just those brothers introduce them to you, Bill, because I think people that I've known through my ministry would realize that, um, you know, I'm just, I need to be tethered to the ground by by brothers in ministry who will help give a steadfastness to kind of some of my erratic <laughs> tendencies. And so it was really special to introduce someone that's influential in my life currently and serving our church and to just give testament to God's work to people that I've known in previous seasons. That was special. And then we talked among the three of us, even though AJ didn't get to go, we did say, let's be intentional if there are people that are church planting or people that are, maybe we find out they're on their own dime and they're paying for all of this trip just because they wanted to come be there. Um, Or certainly people that are in smaller church contexts that just Maybe we can encourage them. Let's just buy, let's, let's take them to dinner, and we'll offer to pay for everything and just enjoy that time. And we got to do that a few times, and that was, as you've already mentioned, that was just really edifying. Yeah. Um, and and Bill's just a, a natural in I think helping be priestly to someone who's in need of ministry, even if he's a stranger to them before the dinner starts. So that yeah. was cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. So the general assembly, it's the it's the gathering of elders within the PCA. And there's, there's elements of worship, there's relational um, connections and, and new things and encouragement and catching up and support and all that. Um, there's business stuff where uh, there's updates and we're gonna touch on some of this in a moment. There's, there's votes, uh, which are important. Um, there's those kind of things. And, and one of the things that are, um, are there seminars, you mentioned that. And, and one of the things that many in our church got to see is there's also scooters. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is this a good time to plug my GoFundMe page to uh, buy that's, a scooter? That's what we were hoping. Yeah, yeah. If we it had Bill cruising downtown Johnson um, City in a scooter, like it could be effective in ministry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there goes that guy again. There he goes. Yeah, you could see it on a billboard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I did tell. Fun. Yeah, we went to a kimchi restaurant that we would not have been able to walk to. It would have just taken too long. It would have been outside the radius of what would have been a good stewardship of time, and we'd be sweating because it was the Midwest and humid. But we had these scooters. We're like, let's give it a go. <laughs> and so we're scootering across town, stopping every third stoplight to check our maps to find out if we're in the right direction right. at this restaurant. Right? Yeah. Um, so we laughed a lot, and that was really special. The other thing I wanted to just add about the scooters were there, but also relationship with Bill. Bill and I are kindred spirits. We're different personalities. In some ways, you could even say we're from different generations of ministry training as well as engagement. I don't think there was anything we consciously voted in differently on in any matter whatsoever. Um, But we hadn't talked about that before we went necessarily. We do a lot of dialogue here in our office as to just how how we feel about the scriptures addressing issues of our day. Um, So that wasn't a surprise or anything, but it is something to recognize that... um, It was one of my least lonely general assemblies. And I ended up getting to sit with somebody that I agree with, if that makes sense, as far as your take on some issues. Because sometimes in the past, uh, general assemblies, I've always been a solo church pastor. So have you, Bill, right? Right, yes. So a solo pastor in a church. And so it can be lonely. And you finally find friends from seminary. You find friends from a previous Presbyterian. You're so glad you go to dinner or something. Then you end up sitting with each other after lunch or dinner and... And I often realize, oh, I'm not sure that I see eye to eye on the way they're thinking yeah. through this issue. Right. And so it adds a constant, not that, not necessarily discomfort, but the General Assembly is just very different. Yeah. But when you're with somebody that you've spent the last two years ministering side by side with and talking about things with and are dialoguing about those things in the hotel room, 
that was a very different general assembly for me and i praise god for it yeah it was awesome yeah yeah, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's awesome. Well, guys, anything else that y'all want to share before we jump into kind of updates on the business side of GA? Anything else to share? I think the big thing would just be a, a reminder to be thankful uh, to God for how he's working by his spirit. Not that everything is smooth and easy in our current context, but God is is bringing growth and the gospel is what people need to hear and it does change lives and uh, I get reminded of that on times like this uh, whether it's because we see other churches that are struggling more than we are or whether we see places where there's a whole lot of ministry going on and it's very exciting and good either way it, it kind of expands our view uh, I think, my view mm-hmm. of the gospel and its effectiveness and that is an encouragement and we should be encouraged here for what God is doing yeah, we really should. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen. Agree with that. Amen. Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, with the business side, and we, we want to give for some of you just a this may be an introduction to some of this, and so we want to give you a sense of, of some of the things. For some of you, you may have a very specific question that you're hoping we address, and we we hope we address that. Um, but um, hopefully, we'll touch on several things that give you an insight into the the business of General Assembly. Um, if you want to know more, I mean, there, we're certainly not going to cover everything. So, so you may want to learn more or you may want to follow up with some questions personally to us. And that's fine, too. But um, just to start us out, Jim, um, could you tell us, I guess, first, you know, what, what are permanent committees? And then just tell us a little bit about, you know, the reports that they shared and yeah. give us a sense of that. So I'll by no means hit all the permanent committees, but our denomination is made up uh, of obviously local churches, presbyteries, and then we have the General Assembly. But we have ministries that are run by permanent committees, such as Mission to the World. That's our global missions-focused agency in the PCA, such as Mission to North America, such as Reformed University Fellowship, our, you know, RUF, our campus ministry, Um, and there are others. You know, there's there's the PCA Foundation, which is about how people can invest their resources, and and, and so it's it's financial stewardship. I mean, there's an agency on that. So there's all these permanent committees. You've got Covenant College, is a permanent ministry of the denomination. Uh, you have Covenant Seminary. So one of the things that happens at General Assembly is each of these permanent agencies or permanent committees is gonna give a report. The permanent committee for that ministry is gonna give its report. Um, and in order to link it up with a grassroots, elder-driven denominational polity, we have what are called Committee of Commissioners. Uh, this is what we went there early for on that Monday for Bill was on the Committee of Commissioners for RUF. So what happens at these committee of commissioner meetings is you would have, before the whole assembly starts, when it's not 2,000 people in the room, but it's it's up to two people, I think, from each presbytery that are gonna be on each of these committees. And so you only have maybe 100 people in a room if, if it's a full uh, committee of commissioners meeting. And they get a briefing from that permanent committee about all that's happened over the previous year. Uh, for example, they may even review the audit of the finances of RUF, for example, but they'll also have the the, the leader of that ministry speak and say, here's the initiatives we're working on. Here's where we see God at work. Here's where we're struggling and here's where our trials are. And so, Bill, you might want to amplify what you heard as an example of that. But just to give the big picture, all those committee commissioners meet with assigned presbyters the day or two before the assembly starts. So then when it comes time on the floor of the General Assembly in the big room, you have the permanent committee gets to give its presentation that it's already given to the committee of commissioners. 
And then the Committee of Commissioners has its representatives stand up and say, these are all the recommendations that we have already reviewed more thoroughly. Yeah. And we want to present them to the whole body to approve these recommendations. Yeah. So there's checks and balances everywhere, ultimately. So do you want to amplify what your experience was like with yeah. RUF? I, I think that this may be the first time that I've served on a committee of commissioners. And uh, so I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. I knew that sometimes those meetings can maybe be a little controversial because you have some guys who are not pleased with things that have gone on in that Which is why they want agency. to be on that committee of commissioners. Yeah, they yeah. want to be uh -huh. honest so that they can challenge them. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I also have been in other meetings associated with the General Assembly where it can be just kind of a almost a business report. Rubber stamp? Yes. Yeah. And so I wasn't sure what to expect and I was actually very blessed by the way that uh, there was one fellow who served as the chairman of the Committee of Commissioners. I'm not sure how he got appointed to be that, but it was a good appointment because <laughs> he was uh, Someone humble. didn't elect, vote on you? There's no, this guy named no. Luxinger from... Uh, there, there, there was no call for that <laughs> at all. So, uh, but this guy, uh, he just did a great job of uh, keeping the, the spiritual aspect to it. The, the, the meetings were conducted with prayer before and after, but also kind of a spirit of prayer huh. during. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that he had asked the permanent committee to do is bring a, a prayer list for us. How can we pray for you all? What are things going on with the permanent committee? How can we pray for you? I just thought that was that was great. Um, we're not just looking at the business of the committee, but the people who serve there and how to pray for them. So um, there was a time during our meeting where we did stop uh, so that we could pray specifically for the folks who were serving. Uh, we got introduced to various uh, like area directors who, uh -huh. were, who were there. The area director that we're under here with ETSU, um, Jason Little, he was not present, but there were various other ones who yeah. were. Uh, they also took the time during the meeting for everybody to uh, introduce themselves and say if they had been influenced by RUF or impacted by RUF. And it astounded me to see how many people mm. in that room came through RUF. Many were in ministry, others were uh, like pastoral ministry, but also other uh, types of ministry. Uh, many of the area coordinators first came to Christ under an RUF ministry on the college campus. And so it was, it was just very encouraging to find out who these people were and how they had been impacted by RUF. Uh, then we broke up into uh, three groups. One reviewed the minutes that I was on that. Another one actually did do the audit. There was a, uh, several folks there whose, uh, whose qualifications were especially in the area of finances, so they can audit the books. And, um, so there was this uh, further study then of the various recommendations and reports, review of minutes, and then we could all come together vote on approving the recommendations that the permanent committee suggested. And then uh, I don't believe we had any overtures to vote on, but with some of the committees, there are overtures that affect their work. So the committee of commissioners will look at that overture and see what the permanent committee has recommended, but they can also make their own recommendations on that. That's what will be presented to the whole assembly for voting later. So all in all, it was a very encouraging experience for me. That, Meeting was probably three hours, something like that, yeah. but very, very uh, spiritually 
beneficial and encouraging and informative. So I, I enjoyed it. That's great. Very much. That's great. So that's going on for all the permanent yep. agencies. Yep. Some of them take longer than others, but there's all these committee of commissioners to review the work and then present it to the General Assembly as a whole. It's a great summary of what that process is. I've only been on one also, okay. and it was RUF years ago. Oh, so uh, we've yeah. So that's that's one of the things, and that happens right even before the official General Assembly starts. It's really it's Monday into then, Wednesday morning. Okay. Yeah. And so, so all those reports come to the the assembly early on in the business cycle. Oh, the amount of paper and digital updating that's going on, it everything's hot off the press. Yeah. Because things need to be put in front of the 2,000 commissioners right. that were just adjudicated or at least, you know, addressed the afternoon before. Yeah. So it's not like some of these papers we had to review a month before the assembly. Right. So. Yep. Very quick. Okay. Uh, one of the other things you mentioned as we were thinking about this podcast was review of presbyteries. Share a little bit. Yeah. So that. just to explain, uh, you know, the PCA, we're grassroots denomination. I believe that's the way the scripture teaches it. In other words... The issues that really need to be germanely addressed come from the ground up. So local churches in local cities, local communities, are going to have a local session of elders at that local church, a plurality of elders, as we see in the book of Titus and we see in the New Testament. So that's what we have here at Christ Community. We have seven elders and we have a local congregation. Um, We take minutes of our meetings of our deliberations as a session, whether it's things we're going to be doing with regards to our next preaching series or discipleship or maybe some complex shepherding situations. We have notes of what we've done. Well, we give those to our presbytery once a year to review them so that they can say, okay, looks to us that from the ground up, grassroots up, mm-hmm. that the, the sheep are being protected, the, the gospel is being proclaimed, things are being done decently and in order, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. And so we would have our records once a year be examined by Presbytery. Well, Presbytery, all 62 Presbyteries, um, have meetings three or four usually times a year, unless they have other called meetings for different things. They're taking a record of all those deliberations and meetings. Um, Again, they could be about anything. There could be challenging shepherding situations with regards to a local church and its relationship to its pastor or something, something, Mm -hmm. something, right? Um, But there's minutes of how that's been done, and that gets passed up to the General Assembly. So one of them, usually the longest-lasting and more complicated, potentially, uh, committee of commissioners to serve on is the review of Presbyterian records because they are going to just sit there for days and review all the minutes of the previous year's activities accomplished by each of the presbyteries. Um, that may sound insignificant because it could be kind of boring. You know, they just <laughs> right. met, just so and so preached, yeah. they had business, they adjourned at whatever time, end of story. But every candidate that's examined, for example, to go into ministry, called by a local church, is examined on the floor of a presbytery. So those things are going to be in those minutes. Was that done decently and in order? And so one of the things that uh, end up taking a little bit more time than normal is there are a couple of uh, presbyteries who uh, essentially had interviewed candidates for ministry. And in the PCA, we have sort of diversely defined, but we have a practice that's been, um, you know, pretty much affirmed of called good faith subscription. In other words, we all subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger and shorter catechism as representing the doctrines taught in scripture. But not every pastor or elder is going to agree with every single word that's in every single paragraph of those documents. Yeah. 
And we want to have good faith that we will all be in our own congregations teaching what's in conformity to Scripture and those documents giving us a guide. But there will be times in which a presbyter says, I don't know if I agree with the wording of that, or I may not quite agree with the doctrine of that. I still believe I fit in the system of doctrine generally of the PCA, but I have a problem with paragraph whatever in that chapter. Yeah. Any incoming minister is obligated to share that with the presbytery, and then they usually have that dialogue. And a presbytery can either say, you know what? You've now crossed outside the bounds of orthodoxy as far as we understand the Scripture's teaching, so therefore we don't believe that you can hold that view and be in gospel ministry. Like, we need to go back and review that because it's not correct. We don't believe it's in conformity with the Bible. Or you may have times where someone said, you know what, we believe that's inside the system of doctrine that the Scriptures teach, but it's more than just, you're not just arguing with words. It's more than semantics. It's So we don't want you to teach on that matter. Uh, or we want you, if you teach on that matter, to also say this is a little bit different than the broader view, whatever the issue could be. And there are other times people just quibble over words and they say, ah, it's just semantics and you really do agree with what the, yeah. the confession teaches. So I won't get into the details, but we had a couple of longer discussions where the review of Presbytery records caught something that was done in the examination of a pastor. And they said, well, it looks to us that you have said that this pastor his views were out of bounds or beyond semantics, but then you said he can't teach them. But if it was inside of but them, they approved him. They approved right. him. If you're going to approve him, but then say he can't teach it, now you're not. We aren't to be binding each other's consciences. So again, that just goes back to sort of an age-old, multiple-decade debate in the PCA of what is good faith subscription. Do we all need to subscribe to every single word that's in the original confession of faith, or? What does good faith mean? How far is the latitude on whether we believe a person's touching in that realm is 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 appropriate or not? And if they if they're still inside the fold, yeah. as far as reformed gospel centered covenant of grace doctrines, are we ever going to ask them not to teach because that would bind their conscience? So it it was a hotly debated thing on a couple of the presbyteries, but again, that's when general assembly starts to become a little exciting because yeah. you realize. What we're doing matters, and we don't want any rogue presbyteries or yeah. any rogue local churches that say we pretty much are going to define the new way to do things. It's not meant to be that way. So it's a meant, yeah. it's it's an attempt to care for local churches. Yeah. In the end, yeah. so I don't know if that's a horrible summary or not, but no, that that that's good. And one additional thing I would say is that when the presbytery or the yeah the commission the committee to review presbytery records when they review those records, they can find exceptions where. Maybe it was something that, you know, the dates didn't agree in a certain set of minutes or some, a minor thing they can note as an exception, or they can find an exception of substance. And that's where they think this presbytery has erred in what they've done, and so they'll actually send that to the presbytery and let the presbytery respond. Yeah. So there have been times over the years where Westminster Presbytery has had to say to General Assembly, we're sorry that we didn't... Uh, we didn't include all the details about that particular action. Here's what happened. We'll try to be more circumspect in the future. Something like that. There are other times where a presbytery may say, I know that your review of our records says the word wrong, but we don't think we are wrong, and here's why. So sometimes... Uh, These things can last for a few years. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, uh, But again, it, it's trying to give that opportunity for the accountability checks and balances between the local session all the way up to the General Assembly through the Presbytery to make sure that we keep things out in the open, we try to deal with it faithfully, and we know where we stand. Yeah. <clears throat> so it, it can get 
you can get lost in the weeds sometimes. Well, I know we're <laughs> going to transition from that probably the last 10 minutes or 15 minutes on the hot topics that are in the overtures, which is kind of the big when, when the overtures are usually for addressing our book of church order and they're usually along theological lines or things like that. So we'll, we'll get there. But let me just say this from the Bible. If someone's listening and they're not used to what we're describing as this much of a connected church, we really do believe the scriptures teach this. And the best place I would point to is Acts chapter 15, yes, yeah. where local churches out in the Gentile context as well as the, the, the Jewish context were viewing Gentile Christians differently. And they weren't left to their own loosely associated hanging out with each other because we all like Jesus kind of connectionalism. Yeah. No, there was actually an order to it. And so you saw the local churches pass things to the council in Jerusalem. Yeah. And the council of Jerusalem wrote a formal letter in response of here's how we want you to handle Gentile Christians. And this is the teaching of how it should be applied in the apostolic era. And so that's what we believe we're doing. Yeah. And so this is very different than other denominations that are autonomous yeah. or even the large SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, met about a month ago. And even that's different because the checks and balances, we've actually, we submit to one another. We're not just attending an association yeah. we can choose to stay in or not stay in. Like, no, we believe that Acts 15 lived out really keeps this system yeah. biblically justifiable. Yeah. And, and just to add another note, so that's the kind of the one side that it's different from would be the independent or autonomous side. But the other way would be kind of the hierarchical uh, Methodist, Anglican, that, that kind of, how, how would Presbyterianism in this regard be different? We don't have bishops that are over a synod or something like that. So that's more of an Episcopal type of government, right? And you just mentioned Lutheran could be the same thing, yeah. uh, Methodist, where you don't have a top-down approach where essentially a, there's not a chain line of command, Yeah. certainly not through individuals like you might find in those other denominational polity structures. We are plurality, and we're in some regards bottom-up. Yeah. The issues come from the bottom, and then a plurality of leaders at that general assembly level, or which we're all a part of. Yeah, and so the General Assembly is just made up of all of the local Correct. leaders, which, which I think is a key difference Correct. there. Yeah. So that's helpful. Well, yeah, okay, well, let's get in, into the hot topics. And one, one of the big ones that's been um, on the surface for, for several years now has been dealing with sexuality, sexual desires, um, and that, all, that whole realm. So uh, I don't know which one of you wants to start, but could one of y'all just share a little bit about that? Yeah, um, well, the, uh, maybe a good place to begin is that uh, the denomination, the General Assembly from a couple of years ago, appointed a study committee on human sexuality, and uh, that, that committee was made up of uh, various teaching elders and uh, maybe ruling elders too, I'm not sure if anything goes wrong there, that ha- came, coming from various uh, viewpoints to come together and draft a statement on what we believe about subject of uh, sexuality in in light of scripture and so they have completed that work and presented their report it actually was ready for last year's assembly but last year assembly didn't meet Uh, so we vote on that this year and since it is a report it are it's not that we um, take action to implement it it's that we can approve and receive the report and even commend them for their yeah. work in drafting that. So that's what we did this mm-hmm. year as an assembly. We commended that report. And uh, that's something, by the way, if, if anybody would like a it's copy available of the public, it, it's available. Yeah. It's a, a good summary statement 
What does the scripture teach on biblical sexuality? Certainly the issues of our day, which have a lot to do with transgenderism or same-sex attraction, um, addressing those issues. And um, yeah, it was kind of a Zoom presentation. Uh, It was funny because Kevin DeYoung was up there on the Zoom thing, giving his, he recorded it weeks ago, and he walked right by me while he was up there on the screen. (laughs) I was like, well, hey, man. Um, But it was very helpful. So that was just a, a receive that report. But Really, the, the hot topic of this General Assembly originated two years ago uh, when um, you had some overtures of concern because there was an event in St. Louis, Missouri called the Revoice Conference. And the first time that happened was in 2018. And I believe it's been annually since. Um, uh, but at the Revoice Conference, it was really a conference for those who experienced same-sex attraction. And there were speakers. It was in a PCA church, uh, Memorial Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, but there were speakers from different denominations, different perspectives. And so, uh, but it really caught the attention of our denomination. And there were some things that were taught at the Revoice Conference, again, that may be people that were not in our uh, denomination. There were some teaching by people in our denomination that brought concern. And the concern was basically this, if I summarize it. Uh, and we addressed this, by the way, if you were at Christ Community a couple of years ago, we did a Sunday, yep. three or four Sunday series in biblical sexuality. But the issue, if I could summarize it, generally is while we know that there are sins in scripture that we ought to refrain from homosexuality being one of them uh, can a person say I am a gay Christian but I'm being uh, celibate and I'm not acting on that but I I'm defining myself as a same-sex attracted Christian one of the reasons that has raised concern is because in 1 Corinthians 6 and other places of Scripture, Paul says, you know, you once were something, your desires were that, your actions were that, but you are no longer that. You're a new creation, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, but that, that, that used to be, you, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you're a new creation in Christ. And so the big denominational debate that we've been kind of waiting to have, because it really came about two years ago, was can a person self-describe themselves as a same-sex attracted Christian. That is different than saying, I am a Christian who struggles with sexual desires that are contrary to God's design. So I think all of us would agree, and I don't think that we were necessarily debating that a person can be a Christian who has same-sex desires, just like a person can be a Christian who struggles with heterosexual lust. That's not what was being discussed. The question was, semantic-wise, can a person self-identify as a gay Christian? So this was the hot topic of the General Assembly, and we debated it way into the night on Thursday night. And um, really, by about a two-thirds majority or so, the this year's decisions for any overture that was along those lines were that it is not to be done, that it is an unwise and unbiblical thing to link our new creation status in Christ to anything he rescued us from. Mm. And so then where it really came to the fore uh, for us in the actual wording of the overtures was, can a person be a pastor in the, or a teaching elder or an elder or a deacon in the PCA and describe themselves as a same-sex attracted or gay Christian or alcoholic Christian or um, uh, angry, or angry greedy Christian, or, greedy yeah. Christian, money laundering right, Christian, yeah. um, covetous Christian. And right. so let me, can I read what sure. we voted great. on? That'd be helpful. So this is what was voted on, and again, and this is... It's voted on and approved. 
Is that or? Yeah, and know, and no thank theory. you. This uh, this is slightly complicated, but the way it works is if we're going to amend our book of church order, yeah. this was voted on and approved. It was approved by a majority. It ended up being closer to two thirds, but it was a majority. Yeah, and I think actually the first uh, overture, the, the first one on the book of church order, was like seventy eight percent to twenty two percent. Gotcha. It was the the one where after it was that was sort of related examinations. That's where. It was a little bit less. Okay, so it was it was more like three-fourths just about. Yeah. The way it works in the PCA is to amend the Book of Church Order. Once that amendment passes at the General Assembly, it has to go back to all of our presbyteries to be voted on up or down. Two-thirds of the presbyteries have to approve that. And then at next summer's General Assembly, there'll be one more vote. And I can't recall if it's two-thirds or one or a majority that has to happen at next year's General Assembly. And after that point, our Book of Church Order will be amended. So this has the initial approval, but there's really two more stages, two more stages. to yeah. that before yeah. it's officially adopted. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm going to read this, but before I read this, let me say this, because I don't know who will listen to this. Yep. At Christ Community, we agree with this, and we voted for it. However, I don't know where people, how people will hear this. Mm-hmm. We have people in our congregation who, by God's grace, are fighting sexual desires. Heterosexual sin desires, same-sex sin desires. And we are a congregation that wants to preach the gospel in the most powerful, effective, not dismissing God's law, but never compromising His compassion way. And we believe that the most powerful, cogent presentation of the power of the gospel allows us to vote this way, demands we vote this, we voted this way, because for us, it's not uncompassionate to say to a person, even your desires must be newly created. Right. So I just want to say that. I hope that that's clear, because I don't, this is going to be churchy language that I I read. Yeah. Okay. So let me read it. Officers in the PCA must be above reproach in their walk and Christ-like in their character. Those who profess an identity such as but not limited to gay Christian, same-sex attracted Christian, homosexual Christian, or like terms, that undermines or contradicts their identity as new creations in Christ, either by denying the sinfulness of fallen desires, such as but not limited to same-sex attracted, or denying the reality and hope of progressive sanctification, or by failing to pursue spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions are not qualified for ordained office. So what we voted on was ultimately saying that an officer in the church, an elder, pastor, and I don't think we need to get into the other overture bill, it's just an extension of this one, but um, about how we examine candidates. But ultimately, we don't want anyone who's been called into gospel ministry to link the rescue that the Bible says God's given to us in Christ, the redemption in Christ, the power over sin given us in Christ, to link that semantically to our describing ourselves by one of the struggles that the scriptures have told us God has the power to redeem us from. Yeah. So that's ultimately what was being said. Yeah. 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 And one of the beautiful things about all this is that uh, the original uh, action of the Committee of Commissioners on this overture was pretty divisive or divisive. I'm not sure the right way to pronounce that word. But, uh, Depends how smart you want to say Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. It really split the group apart. Um, <laughs> That's how you say it. Yeah. 
But what was so encouraging to hear, there were several men from our presbytery who served on that committee of commissioners. So we got a firsthand look and report on what took place. The committee of commissioners met again, and uh, they, they brought that overture back up and said, we need to work more on this so that we can arrive at a more of a consensus. And uh, so they, they talked about it for hours. <clears throat> they redid the wording. They ended up approving it uh, to present to the General Assembly by a vote of like 107 to 6. And uh, Dan Witcher, one of the elders at uh, Westminster and Kingsport, he and Steve Warhurst and Rob Dykes, the new uh, pastor there, they, they told us how the end of the Committee of Commissioners meeting regarding that overture was with prayer and singing the doxology. Uh, or no, be thou my vision, mm. is what they sang. So it sounded like it was a, a time yeah. when God really worked by His Spirit to bring uh, some unity and clarification, and uh, that was so encouraging to hear that that's what was taking place before it was even presented yeah. to the assembly as a whole. So very thankful for that. Many listening know that we are downtown Johnson City. We're in a city that definitely uh, has some progressive bend to it in our on our sidewalks and our streets. And you know, I work still and help some nonprofits. And in the nonprofit setting, I've got friends who are, would be concerned about conservative Christians being so uncompassionate. And I hope those that even could listen to this would know that I'm not a very uncompassionate man. I don't think, but I think that this is a beautiful declaration that God decides and declares to us what our creationally natural desires should be and that unnatural desires or in conformity with our flesh will feel natural in a sinful world yeah yeah and we are not called then to define them as natural at least that's what we believe and so if a person is listening to this right now and says like you know that sounds so uncompassionate or that sounds so like you wouldn't let someone who calls themselves a gay Christian be a pastor in your denomination. Um, maybe it needs to sound that heavy for a great dialogue to happen. Yeah. But I can only speak for the three of us in this room, certainly for our elders, certainly for our local congregation. I don't believe it's uncompassionate at all. Right. Um, I believe that actually the countenance of grace and mercy and compassion that still leans into the Word of God as being our defining guide as opposed to what feels natural or even what our culture around us would declare is natural. Yeah. We we understand that. I understand that I've been laughed at, that I would actually believe that the Bible defines what is right and holy and natural, not what the culture around me says or what we feel. But we're gonna, we stick to that. But I hope the countenance by which we do so is because we love sharing with others the work that God has done in Christ and the power that the Holy Spirit does have to redeem us. Mm -hmm. yes. And so um, I just hope everybody hearing that um, yeah. can understand the countenance by which we speak on this. Yeah. yeah. It's designed to give hope, gospel hope, Amen. to whatever our struggle is. Amen. Yeah, and I, I recall a conversation, um, at least Bill, you were there, maybe all three of us just had in, in the office probably two years ago when some of this stuff was first coming up. And uh, Bill, I think you, you said something to this effect um, that basically if, if we redefine sin, and so in this context, 
whether it's sexual sin or even just the 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 level I don't know if that's the best word but our desire is sinful you know and if we redefine sin from a non-biblical place then we're necessarily redefining the rescue and salvation that Jesus offers and that's a huge thing um, we don't for, want to for do me that. to think about like because then we're offering something less yeah. than the goodness and the bounty and the abundance of what Jesus has done for us yeah. and we, we just we can't do that yeah. and, and you know you just broadly said it which is really important because there are some that and I even even friends of mine in our own denomination would say, well, why are we picking out this one thing? Why are we picking out sexuality? And now we're naming that. And now we're making it much worse, or we're saying it's much worse than any other sin, but I don't know that it necessarily is true. Well, that's a longer debate, but I will say this. In our culture, and really many cultures, people are sinking their identity to their sexuality yep. in profound ways. And that's why an overture like this was addressed. It's not because the PCA really wants to pull out one sin that we want to just make sure we have an extra paragraph about. No, the issues that are sexual in nature so, so culturally are being linked to people's identity of who they are. Who I am sexually is who I am. That is not the way the scripture teaches. Who I have been created to be by the God who made me far more than just a sexual being is more what I am. And who I've been redeemed to me, which is far more than just a sexual being that's redeemed, is so much greater. And so I don't feel like this runs the risk of that. Um, But that is worthy of saying, too, that, you know, you will find folks that wouldn't agree with us. Obviously, even in our own denomination. Um, I have peers in the ministry because I've done the church planting in different cultures in our denomination that, that probably would feel, Jim, I didn't realize that you would vote this way because, you know, you want to be like an evangelist or you're more of a church planter. You're more of a go into hard places and talk to people about hard things. I think this is the best way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the most loving way to do it. And yeah. I think it's the most natural way to read the scriptures. And yeah. I don't think it has to be offensive. And so, um, I mean, it is offensive if God wants it to be, but our countenance doesn't have to be anything yeah. but affectionate right. Right. toward those who are wrestling with sin of any kind and linking the desires that that they have to their Christianity when I just don't think that that's wise. Yeah. So, so that's the, that was the main issue. Yeah. Um, and I know we've gone over our, our goal was not to go quite this long, but it's a heavy one. Mm-hmm. And again, one of the parts of Presbyterian polity is it wasn't a big reaction thing. This was all started two years ago. Yeah. We had some processes to follow, but then GA was canceled because of COVID in 2020. So we picked up where we left off. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people were ready for that discussion, which is why so many people came to General Assembly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, d- I do have a just a closing question, but is there anything else regarding this or other hot topics or just anything else that you all want to touch on? The only on? thing, that, because I know some people in our congregation may ask, we did not on the floor of the assembly address other cultural narrative things like uh, the Southern Baptist Church spent a lot of time on critical race theory and on racism. Um, and we didn't do that, and here's why. Two years ago, we had a study committee that addressed racial uh, sin, and that's you can read that. CRT was referenced in that. Um, but because of the polity that we have, we don't have reactionary things necessarily that are going to hit the floor of our assembly. Um, we have things that are coming up from the grassroots levels. And there were a few things saying, should we do a study committee on critical race theory and race? And those were voted down because ultimately the church said there are great resources that are more already timely speaking into that. 
we did a study committee two years ago that, that, that touches on it, and we don't think that'd be a good use of our time. And so, no, we didn't have any debates, contrary to some other denominations, yeah. about how are we gonna handle or respond to critical race theory or a narrative of um, oppression versus victimization that might be also very current yeah. day discussion. Um, so, just wanna emphasize that that was not an issue that we deliberated on because um, we believe the scriptures are pretty clear of what, <clears throat> It's just seen as not necessary yep. for not a not a good use of stewardship. Yep. 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 Anything else from you, Phil? No. <clears throat> no, I think Jim put that well. And, uh, oh. Yep. Well, just to close this out, and we'll try to be brief. Um, and we touched on a little bit at the beginning. You know, context was it mean to be Presbyterian, General Assembly, all that. But uh, just for folks at Christ Community, you know, just people in our church, at our individual church. Um, who in many ways are very disconnected from <laughs> everything that happened. You know, they didn't go, they, you know, that kind of thing. Does General Assembly matter for a member of Christ Community Church? Or, or how does or how doesn't or how, does it affect a member at Christ Community Church? Or, or how does it not? Or, you know, just any brief thoughts on that? Do we have another 45 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll take a stab at it. Um, I think the most important thing is that we are faithful where we're at. You know, as individual Christians, we need to seek to be faithful. As families, we need to seek to be faithful. As a congregation, we seek to be faithful. The elders and pastors seek to be faithful here. That's our first mm-hmm. priority. Mm-hmm. And it's general assembly is important, but general assembly doesn't determine who we are. Yeah. We seek to be faithful here. And the more that we're able to do that, the greater influence we have and the greater that influence spreads. I think that's the principle of the kingdom. You know, it, it starts small yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it grows and spreads and yeah. transforms. Um, so I think we should be aware of General Assembly. We should try to speak up where we have opportunity and responsibility to do so. But it shouldn't take the bulk mm-hmm. of our time or attention. Our our daily lives and the ministry God has called us to here, that takes priority for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely matters for people to understand that we don't, we're not an island mm-hmm. and we're not asking people to get on a ferry boat and come to our island and this is the way it is on this island. Yeah. That would be dangerous. Um, and even with a plurality of leaders, it can still be dangerous. Uh, this is how we're going to do this. And no one else gets to speak into that. We don't want that. Um, so I'm thankful. I think the General Assembly does matter in that regard. There is not necessarily, though, a dictated philosophy of ministry that comes from the upper courts of the church down to the local session, which I think is what you're saying. Our philosophy of ministry, who we are as Christ Community Church, is localized. But we do not have the freedom to disconnect that from obviously the historic and errant inspired word of God and also the way the church has historically understood the plain meaning and application of the word of God to be. The church is called to be always reforming. So therefore having the larger church speak into us local churches of how we should always be reforming and addressing things according to God's word is very important. It does matter that there are missionaries out in the field that are connected to us through missions of the world. We may not know them, but it does matter. 
because those folks also subscribe to the same description of how God's word should be applied in the culture that they are in, and they're not making that up on the fly by themselves with no oversight and accountability. So I think it really does matter, but I would say to the general attendee at Christ Community, you won't necessarily feel that some earth-shaking development yeah, happened sure. in St. Louis in the last week of June, and now everything just really changed at Christ Community Church. What went down? I don't think that that's ever been a vibe yeah. that I've experienced in any church I've ever pastored, um, and I won't. Ex- I don't expect that here. But I think there should be a gratitude that we are a connected church, that we are not autonomous, that God uses His larger global kingdom church to protect individual saints who attend local churches. Yeah. And uh, I praise him for that. Yeah. So maybe that's a... Yeah, that's helpful. Well, uh, why don't I close this in prayer? Yeah, sounds good. Right? Our Father and our God, we give you thanks. Uh, Lord, you are, have been building your kingdom um, ever since uh, you've, you've made uh, this world, and we're grateful for that. We are grateful that your king, uh, your son, is on his throne. And uh, Lord, that you are bringing your kingdom to earth, and Lord, we long and, and look forward to that day uh, when we are uh, your kingdom is fully realized and established, and all your enemies are, are put under your feet. We look forward to that, Father. I give you thanks for um, these brothers here, for Bill and Jim, for their uh, going to General Assembly and giving up their time for their um, relational uh, engagement there, and, and their voting, and, and just giving up their thoughts and, and hearts in that. Father, uh, we give you thanks for the 2,000 or, or more um, elders who were at this General Assembly. Yeah, God, we give you thanks that um, we see evidence of your Spirit's work to give us unity and clarity and uh, to help us hold to your scriptures and to help us um, in the work of advancing the gospel. Father, we pray for your blessing um, on the PCA and, and on our local church and on our presbytery. Uh, Father, that you would use us uh, to be lights in this world. God, we pray your blessing on um, your church who is is beyond the PCA uh, for other denominations, other churches, that you would use all of your people, all of your churches um, to advance your kingdom. Uh, But God, we give you thanks and praise, and uh, we long for that day. We pray all this through our King, Jesus. Amen. Guys, thanks for sharing this subject. Thank you.